The Anton Savage Show Sunday. Brought to you by PwC. Combining talent and technology, we're hardwired to find solutions. On News Talk. Now, my next guest is uh, one of those people who is. His sort of his CV is a, a what's what and who's who of the great and good of British comedy over about the last 40 odd years. He was a driving force behind Spitting Image. He was the man who created not the nine o'clock news. He was the man who created the empire that is QI because QI is both a TV show and a company and the Museum of Curiosity on radio and the No Such Thing as a Fish podcast and the 24 books and so on and so forth. And over his career, he has worked with or has been hired by uh, or has hired Rowan Atkinson, Stephen Fry, Richard Curtis, Hugh Laurie, Mel Smith, Douglas Adams, uh, Rick Mayle, Clive Anderson. The, the list goes on and on. John Lloyd, good morning. Good morning, Anton. You've certainly done your research. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, can we begin by discussing your deep-seated resentment of Judy Dench? <laughs> <laughs> I love Dame Judy. She's absolutely wonderful, isn't she? But she has won one more uh, BAFTA award than I have. She's won 11 and I've won 10, bizarrely. Does this make you the second most ba- BAFTA winning person in history? Not really, because oh. the, it's an anomaly. Because, I mean, it does technically, but it was in the 90s when I used to direct ads, and notably the Barclay card ads with Rowan Atkinson that became Johnny English and all that stuff. And I had a very good year, and the BAFTA decided to have an advertising awards, which they've never done before or since, and it was held at the Royal Albert Hall in London, and I had a very good year the year before, and I won six BAFTAs on the same night, and <laughs> I want to tell you, Anton, being booed by the Albert Hall is not a funny experience. <laughs> and that got added to the ones that you had got for Not the Nine O'Clock News, and, and you had a lifetime achievement when you were about 12 and a half, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I was 38, I won two in the same year, um, one from the Royal Television Society and one from from BAFTA and that was a shock because they didn't tell me that I'd won the BAFTA one and you're supposed to make a speech if you win a lifetime award. A normal producer, just get up, say thank you, get off, nobody cares about the producer. If you win a lifetime thing, you're supposed to do 10 minutes and they didn't tell me so I had no speech and I had to get up in front of Princess Anne of all people and and make this speech impromptu and I all I could think of was your royal highness I do apologize for making a puppet of you and your mother and bowed very low <laughs> she, she thought it was really funny she's such a nice person actually well that is one of the things because you you bring up the the puppetry this was spitting image behind which you were a, a driving force you were a key participant in the lunch that led to uh, spitting image if I if I get the technical description correct um <laughs> I'm always surprised at how positive people were about the portrayals in Spitting Image because some of them were very much on the edge. Well, the the, the common saying is there was only one thing worse than being on Spitting Image and that was not being on it. And people used to, they used to beg us to be on, on the programme because if you were just nobody if you weren't, you know, one of the company. And, you know, it's it's... Uh, you know, people talk about it being savage, but actually it's mainly childish name-calling, you know, hello, big nose. <laughs> and, uh, and, of course, all politicians, if you go to their downstairs loos, they've all got cartoons of themselves. They love the fact that, uh, you know, I think all, all politicians and public figures, they like to be in the public eye. And, um, 
but they do get upset about the nose thing. That's the thing they don't they don't like to be told they've got big ears or you know that kind of stuff. But my understanding is the one thing is as long as they are portrayed as strong, it doesn't mind if they're sadistic and psychotic with it. Just the toughness is the thing they all want to be seen as. Well, again, you've done your research, Anton. I mean, that is very acute. Um, it's the strong people who find it amusing, and the people who are a bit wibbly get very hurt about it, you know, and, and they sort of perform according to type. I mean, I, I often said that, you know, Mrs. Thatcher and Norman Tebbit were the sort of anti-heroes of the show, as it were, and it never did them any harm in their in their careers. In fact, I was talking to Norman a couple of years ago, who's an amusing bloke, and uh, he uh, he said he was once stopped by four Millwall football fans on a train, you know, who are, who are the toughest football fans in the country, in the UK. And they were, oh, Norm, we love your puppet, mate. Love the leather jacket. And, you know, all gave him a hug. And, you know, he, he said it was really good for his public image that he was this tough guy. Is, is it, was it of a time, because at the time you were lampooning a government, which may have been significantly disliked by a proportion of the population, but it was seen as competent and therefore you could throw brickbats at it. I, I look at the, the sort of the recent footage coming from the, the COVID inquiry and find myself thinking, how do you satirise that? Because it in and of itself is satire. Well, you know, I don't, unfortunately with QI these days, I'm more interested in cauliflowers and the mating habits of hamsters and things. So I don't get too involved in politics, but it's definitely true that satire flourishes under strong government very well. Under weak government, it's often, I think, seen as, you know, knocking a person when they're down and, yeah, it is, it's, it's very difficult to not to be slightly embarrassed by the state of the government in the country. It's like, uh, you know, it's all a bit sort of sad, I think. Um, and do you miss the satire? Because I, I saw you quoted as, as saying that you, you played an almost oppositional role at one point with Spitting Image. There must be a sense of, it must be enjoyable to get your teeth stuck into shins occasionally. Yeah, you, you're right. Again, good research. We used to call ourselves Her Majesty's Loyal Opposition because the Labour government at the time were, you know, just almost invisible. And so sort of, you know, I think it's a good thing for a democracy. And I feel very strongly about this with Spitting Images. It would be a good thing if it was there regularly because it's important to hold the people who, you know, have all the strings uh, to hold them to account. Um, and, and the fact we don't have it. I mean, there is very little satire on British television. It's not good for the health of the nation. I mean, the Brits are supposed to be people who, who don't mind laughing at themselves. As witnessed by you say, back in the day in the 80s, they all took it on the chin. And I, I actually didn't, I really struggled to find a politician who didn't enjoy the program. They might not have enjoyed their own puppet, but they certainly enjoyed everybody else's. Now, I'm afraid I can't let it pass without asking the, the obvious question, John. What's interesting about the mating habits of hamsters? <laughs> I, I, it's way back in the H series, Anton. I can't, I can't remember. I, I, I have to let me think about hamsters. Um, I think all hamsters descended from one hamster found in Syria in the 1940s, I think. Something like that. All golden hamsters, anyway. Well, are you aware of the, the story of the grey squirrel in Ireland? 
No. Oh, you like this one. The grey squirrel in Ireland was brought in as a wedding present by, I think, the Lord, the Earl of Longford in a... Bed- this is brilliant, Anton. <laughs> this is going straight in the database. I think it was in the late 1800s. It was in a hamster, uh, not in a, in, a, in a hamper. There were two or three... Yeah, it'd be all the more impressive if it was in a hamster. Um, two or three grey squirrels in a hamper and they were opened and revealed. I don't know why one would want such a thing at their wedding, but this is what they were given. Look, to that grey squirrels. The grey squirrels then escaped and did what grey squirrels do, which is made furiously. And we now have almost no red squirrels left in the country entirely because of one wedding 150 years ago. Uh, oh, that's fabulous. The thing I love about squirrels is the um, they should have... Uh, because they're eaten a lot in uh, the southern states of America, squirrels, is a popular dish. And they should have a little label on them saying, may contain nuts. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever had squirrel? No. It's not bad, but it's a nightmare to butcher. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, it's very small, lots of bone. Anyway, setting this to one side, there are more important things I want to ask you about, which is, You've had a couple of phenomenal UK successes. I mean, the, the Blackadder series was absolutely huge. Not the Nine O'Clock News was likewise huge. And QI has become an empire that has built from an idea. Do you always know at the genesis of those ideas, this is going to work? Well, I'm very lucky because I've never done anything that I don't believe in. Uh, I've never been a gun for hire. I've always waited until an idea comes along and QI probably took me 10 years to, you know, in gestation. And yes, I was absolutely sure. And people say, oh, you must be very proud it's done so well. I said, no, it's not done nearly as well as I expected because I thought it would by now, 20 years on, have a network of schools all over the world teaching children a completely different way, which is the way there's quite a few teachers now who use our QI fact books. And what they do is they start every lesson, if they're, say, a science teacher, and they look up, I know, galaxies or atoms or something, and they find this extraordinary fact, which is the um, center of the galaxy tastes like raspberries. And they start the lesson <laughs> with that. And the kids go, what? How, can, how does anybody know that? And the way these books work is that if you go online, you find qi.com and you put the name of the book in. It's all sourced, so the teacher can the night before read up on where this fact comes from, and it's the fact that spectroscopic analysis tells us that the uh, you know what a raspberry is made of in the centre of the galaxy bizarrely is has exactly the same pattern, and so the children are completely uh, entranced by this. As a result, they don't riot and they sit and they can't wait for the next fact, and it makes the teachers incredibly popular. So that was one idea that's been floating around, yeah, literally for two decades. So, um, yeah, it's it, it's a it's a fun thing too. But of course, my career is, I think, called as a career. But I mean, probably seventy percent of the things that I've believed in haven't got made. You know, um, we tried to start a radio station in nineteen ninety three. Took a whole year. Signed up a hundred comedians raised formally and quitting cash. It was going to be the world's first 24-hour comedy radio station. It's oh, called you Radio ha- Barking. Oh, that, you're not half setting a high bar there. Well, yeah, I know. It was, it was a kind of mad idea, but they all, all these, the idea of QI, I remember when I had the idea, and just came sort of through from the sky through a hole in my head like a song to a songwriter. And I thought, this is kind of nuts. I'm going to try and find out something interesting about everything in the universe. That's going to take a long time. But, you know, we're still here. And uh, 
I think it's it's the way I was trained, Anton, as a baby radio producer. I said I was a writer, and I didn't want to be a producer. And I said, well, what do they do? They just seem to wander around in tweed suits and go to the bar. <laughs> I said, well, you just make stuff that you'd like to listen to. You say, what, me? I'm 22. And they said, yeah, but at least there'll be one person listening, won't there? And so that's the way we were trained in the old Beeb, is make stuff that you like. And that is, it sounds a bit weird, but actually it's not patronizing because you make stuff you like, your heart's in it. I'm sure you're the same on your show. You have guests that you want to talk to. You're not sort of just going through the motions and looking at the demographics and seeing, oh, I should maybe have some cakes in it because, <laughs> you know, maybe there's some be some dating dating aspect to the Anton Savage show. <laughs> so you, you're, you're doing it from the heart, and that's it's something that Jeremy Clarkson and I often talk about. You know, he's a schoolgate dad. I've known him for years. Is that Top Gear and Clarkson's Farm are made from the same attitude? Clarkson loves his, the television he makes. He has fun. He really believes in it. You know, he loves Caleb, and it's so he's he's often been on QI, of course, because it's the same attitude, which is we just do stuff we like to do. But what's interesting in in the attitude that underpins QI, you talk about the, it arriving into your head. It wasn't just an idea for a TV show and for education and for the rest of it. It also seems to be a sort of a shift in your fundamental philosophy of life, a shift from wanting to know everything to coming to terms with the real joy is knowing nothing. Yes, that, that was a shock when I woke up age 43 and I suddenly thought, I don't really know anything. I don't know the difference between an atom and a molecule. I don't even know what a galaxy is. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a shocker, especially if you've been to Cambridge University and you've got a degree and you think you know stuff. Uh, but actually, it's a it's a real pleasure to be the professor of ignorance, which I am at Southampton Solent University, because I don't have to prove anything anymore. You just you can go on finding things out. And of course, to me, it's what's wrong with education is sit down, shut up, listen to what you're told, repeat back to me what you've been told. Was if you, you know, you've probably got kids, I mean, little kids, you know, under six, they want to know everything, you know, look, daddy, a leaf. Oh, amazing. <laughs> everything's, everything's fun. And that's the way all, all schooling should be like that. It's a continual revelation of how extraordinary the world is. I mean, I know it's going to pot at the moment, but you know, if you ever look at a sparrow closely or a bush, you think this is, I'm just looking out at our garden, for example, see what, I mean, dozens of different leaves, extraordinary. And people forget how miraculous it is to be alive. And that really is what QI is about. It's about to say, when everything else is going to pieces, you can sit and watch QI, learn something, have a laugh, meet some really nice people, and just go, wow, this is, I didn't know that. Um, you know, because I think curiosity and interestingness for me philosophically is the solution to everything. In you the know, educational was... context, John, if I remember correctly, didn't QI put all of the blame at one point for modern education on one chap in Cambridge due to <laughs> his laziness? Is that right? It, well, it's uh, the, that's yes. I mean, perhaps that's a bit unfair. And he was called William Farish. And he was a chemistry tutor, and it was uh, in 1793. And he had, like me, he had a hole in his head, and an idea popped in. He said, rather than interviewing every student, which takes hours to find out whether they really understand their subject, I'll just give them a numerical score for their essay. 
So I'll give them 82% or 64% and so on. So it meant that he could process dozens of students, you know, in, in where his colleagues were doing one or two. So, and he was paid piecework. So it was a very industrial revolution kind of thing. So he was able to earn a lot more money much faster. And so marking was not a thing until 1793. And now it's everything in education system. If you haven't got the marks, you don't pass and you don't get to the next stage. And it's completely mad because anybody who's ever done an exam knows that passing an exam doesn't prove you understand anything particularly. Um, and and it, it's also, it, there's, it's only one way of teaching people. People who, it, you know, it's like IQ tests. All they measure is the ability to do IQ tests. They don't measure, for example, your ability to rewire a house or to, um, you know, do origami or anything else like that. It's, it's just, it's a one-note educational system that basically suits one class of people, which are the people who are going to become corporate lawyers, management consultants, bankers, scientists, that kind of thing. But guitarists, novelists, radio presenters, you know, teleproducers, that's not taught at school. Go back uh, for a bit, I, John. The, the, you described the um, abject failure that QI turned into for not having been a, a, a global redefinition of the world's education. I'm paraphrasing slightly. Do you still have that ambition? I absolutely do have that ambition. And, you know, we got very close to starting a school about 15 years ago. Um, and it, 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 it doesn't... Uh, barely a month goes past when people don't don't mention it, but you know it's a it's a big it's a an enormous idea of shift. And you know the current idea is to there are a percentage of kids who just don't get school at all and will leave school with literally no qualifications. Well, you know, sort of angry fifteen year olds, sixteen year olds, and things. We will and watch, think, as they say, John, the space for the the uh, creation of the QI school because the. <laughs> The basic um, uh, idea on which it is based is so good, it would be a shame if it doesn't come to fruition. There is so much more I would have loved to talk talk to you about, including I hadn't realised until uh, looking at stuff this week that you were the man responsible for Bayek, You Smell Gorgeous Tonight, Petal, which it has to be said is one of the (laughs) world's great ads. Maybe next time we will get to do all of that. John, great pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much. That is John Lloyd, who is, of course, the man behind Blackadder, behind QI and so much uh, uh, other great UK TV. The Anton Savage Show. Brought to you by PWC. Sunday mornings from 10. On News Talk.